All right. Uh, we are filming an episode of History Unraveled here this morning. Uh, Mr. Thurman Storing, uh, fellow historian, uh, recent graduate, Arkansas Tech University. Uh, he, he's come on the show and talked about his uh, his master's thesis and uh, is collaborated in many ways with the podcast. So uh, always a pleasure to have yeah, you. Thanks for having me. Uh, yes, yeah. thank you very much. So we, um, I'm very excited to be able to do this episode. For a long time, I've had this fascination with 1968. And we kind of, I think... And, and just having a podcast or, or when you were over, we started kind of talking about right. it and uh, it's awesome to be able to collaborate on this, but we're doing a series of episodes over 1968. I've wanted to do this for like over a year personally mm-hmm. um, and, and have had a fascination for many years. So we're going to be talking about two uh, really kind of a heads and tails sort of approach, but two big incidents that kick off the year, January of 68. And obviously they, they're, they, they create a ripple that goes out into the rest of the year, but uh, the Pueblo incident or crisis uh, it's, is it's uh, termed, and the Tet Offensive. Right. So those are our topics. Um, and, uh, I'm, you know, Pueblo is kind of kind of what kicks things off. Right. So uh, what did we've we've had some remarks on Pueblo previous. Like, what did you know about Pueblo? Uh, when did you find out about it, et cetera? See, what's interesting, I think, about the Pueblo incident is that even though in, say, 1968 or even in the subsequent years after that, it is an important event. However, I don't recall actually reading about the Pueblo incident until I was, I'd say, into college at that point. It had kind of been buried up. And I think part of the reason of that is just due to the um, scope of what would come with the Tet Offensive. It, in a way, gets buried, even though it is an important international incident, the Pueblo incident or crisis is, is that, in a way, Pueblo, even though it drags throughout the year 1968, in a way, it gets buried by what happens in Tet. And part of the reason for that may be because, well, you have more press coverage that was already embedded in the Vietnam conflict on on the in the actual country at that time and the focus was more on Vietnam but the implications of the Pueblo incident uh, could have had far larger ramifications on sort of the global scale if um, uh, let's say uh, if attitudes had been somewhat different if uh, uh Johnson or uh, the other um, uh, military people had decided maybe to escalate the tensions a bit more. It could have been a very, very different outcome to this. And it it, it may have expanded right war in East Asia. We may have returned back to the Korean uh, to to the peninsula there. When I feel like that was... uh based off my research is that the initial knee-jerk reaction was sort of a retaliatory response but due to many things we're going to talk about throughout these episodes that became quickly not a possibility yeah uh, for many reasons but but then uh 
the United States gets detained with with all of these. It's just uh, if if any domino uh, effect analogy uh, we could apply to this would be each one of these events and months that we're talking about sort of start escalating, and then right. the United States really can't deal with this issue. They they uh, they don't have sort of the diplomatic uh, negotiating power due to Tet. Right. Right. Yeah. In in a way, the United States had already had its its plate full pretty much at that point mm-hmm. and uh as tet would demonstrate is that i i feel almost previous to this point that the united states feels that justification for their military actions is um uh, well that, that their their military actions somewhat justify the need for war that that they're continue they're like we're we're winning the war we're funneling all these resources and things into into the war and it's providing what they believe are results which are these statistics like body counts and things like Mm -hmm. that which later become important in the whole vietnam thing but that um that things like tet or even pueblo show that that the military solution doesn't work that that the um you can you can continue to to funnel as many resources and men and guns and bombs and things into this but it's not going to provide uh a winnable solution at this point that that it's it's the point where where right diplomacy is almost necessary at that it's it's you can't use the strong arm of the military to justify your actions because it's just not working yes right You know, I don't recall retaining anything about the Pueblo incident mm-hmm. until I started is a larger interest, you know, having known about the common events of 68. Right. Because uh, like you mentioned, Pueblo is just not, uh, it's not, it's been buried in, in, in many yes. senses. Uh, but I didn't hear about it for the most part until I started digging like, you know, into uh, like the month by month approach or like just trying to, pe- you know, flesh out the whole year of events. Like, you know, what are some key things that happen? And really, this is the first thing that always comes up. Right. But it's re- but it doesn't have a lot done about it. So I talked with Dr. Woods mm-hmm. and I was like, hey, you know, what do you know about this? Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Dr. Jeff Woods, he's been on the podcast uh author historian and um he turned me on to this other historian that he actually went went to school with the guy works at uh, ohio state university now as a professor uh dr mitchell Lerner. okay have you had a chance to look into him any at all uh i've heard the name but i haven't looked he, at any of this he's like probably on. the foremost uh, historian okay. on the topic, right. ironically. So <laughs> I just happened to ask Woods, I'm like, hey, you know, do you have a recommendation? So like anything I've found out there, there is one other um, one other book out there. Uh, I think it's called An Act of War. Okay. Uh, but Lerner's book, The Pueblo Incident, The Spy Ship and the Failure of American Foreign Policy, 2002. That's where I got a lot of my uh, info from. And he has, a, he has several podcasts, articles in uh, right. There, there are several articles on uh, online that I've read. Right, right. Like there's, uh, it, it is um, becoming more of a well-developed topic, uh, and I feel like 
we're kind of taking part in that process right now. Honestly, <laughs> it's like just kind of I've, I've been assimilating as much data as I can on it. Yeah. I never would have thought going into this, I would have amassed as much uh, information, uh, like a dozen pages of notes and stuff like that. So, well, I, I'm just, uh, uh, I mean, maybe it shouldn't be surprising because I, unfortunately, Pueblo is sort of relegated to this footnote right sort of in history and but looking into it right the implications of the incident are pretty enormous on um sort of the uh, right it could have went either way the direction that um that that this this could have went could have been completely different but um uh one thing that that I, I got to thinking about too is is that I mean not only does this apply to sixty eight, but it, it also has even ramifications to today. I mean, as far as our relationship with North Korea, and uh, it's interesting going through some articles and reading some things is that you see the Pueblo thing sort of resurface, right? Because they still have the Pueblo itself; they still have the actual actual uh, uh, ship there, yes. and it's part of a museum. That's devoted to these great North Korean military exploits, right? And uh, well, at one point in time, um, the person leading the tourist attraction was uh, someone who claimed, I'm sure he probably was, to have been on the ship that captured the Pueblo, mm-hmm. right? Right. So um, I have, if we want to watch uh, towards the end of the end of the show, if we want to watch. Uh, there is a YouTube video of a clip of the tourist attraction yeah. in North Korea. So, but yes, it is. Imagine if Donald Trump is able to somehow get them to release that because that is something that's not being called for like right. the higher right. levels of naval uh, leadership or, or national leadership. But you, these crewmen that are still alive right. and, you know, just the Navy in general, I'm sure would, you know, they would love to have their USS Pueblo well, back. So, so if I understand co- correctly, right, the USS Pueblo is uh, the second oldest ship it, still in the United old. States fleet because it has never been decommissioned, right? Correct. Because if it were decommissioned, then it would be surrendered, which, uh, you know, we don't. Uh, I guess want to own up to that really right so it's still uh, technically I guess in active service and it was launched April 16 1944 right yeah it was originally a light cargo ship correct right just a passenger and freight ship FB 344 right what it was commissioned and and then the Department of Defense in the 60s is like hey we need these smaller vessels in order to hold these sort of spying missions right and so it's like hey the pueblo is a perfect example of a ship we could use because it's not yes and they like you've mentioned they apparently did this with several ships and the pueblo Mm -hmm. was going into these waters under these sort of assumptions and precedents that i'll talk about uh, a little more in detail that like well we've done this before surely nothing bad will. yeah right right which didn't didn't seem to be the case this time so uh just a little bit about like so for listeners that don't really know uh kind of the the ins and outs the sort of basics of the incident is 83 americans are operating spy ship off the coast of north korea in international waters now they likely did meander back and forth a tad right it's it's interesting that that's still a 
a contentious point, right? It's like no one will, I mean, you have North Korea claim, hey, they intruded into our space, but then you have the Navy saying, oh, no, we didn't. We were just hanging out kind of in, yeah, the international waters or whatever. What 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 was your assessment based off your research on that? <sighs> based off my research, I think it's most likely that they did stray into North Korean I waters. think they were. Right. I think this is uh, based on my research. One, th- one redeeming point is when the North Koreans took the United States like when uh, when they did uh, capture the USS Pueblo when they attacked fired upon everything the Pueblo was in international waters at that point right yeah uh, based off what I'm reading now there's also like a little footnote on that but did you know the North Koreans had doctored our charts and yeah you know, so yeah, it's yeah. like it's kind of a he said she said type of a thing right exactly uh, but that is um that is kind of the t- uh, basis of what happened. Uh, one American is killed during the capture. There's six right. total officers aboard, 83 crewmen. Uh, two are Korean translators, but they can't. It's been nine. They did a mi- nine-month course years earlier. They aren't fluent in Korean, so they can't really translate right. the intelligence that, that is coming in. Yeah, I found that it was interesting, too, based because uh, I remember running across it. That there was uh, some somewhat of a blame put right on this sort of inexperienced crew for exactly what well, they, yeah, they didn't have a background in naval intelligence. Right. <laughs> so um, then you had uh, the ship's the ship's captain uh, Pete uh, Buker. Um, Buker. I've heard I've heard a couple pronunciations on his name, but um, he didn't get along with some of his uh, like his, the the next in command of the ship. Right. I, I know that that was something that went on. There was this poor communication. Uh, and they didn't. Re- they just. Re- I feel like we're we're not adequately prepared based on uh, what they were going to experience. But yet um, they were told, like when they were first attacked, they're like, "Hey, don't worry." They told us something like this might happen. Yeah. So even at that point that they're you know getting fired upon, it's like or, or not getting fired upon, but getting uh, told to surrender their ship and stuff. They're like, yeah, whatever. You know, we've we've been we've been here before. Uh, don't listen to them. Right. Well, didn't they still have radio contact at that point with uh, the Navy? With- they did. They had, well, they were trying to get okay. So that was one fault of they because I think that the Pueblo is running. The dual intelligence. They were doing right. a couple of tasks for the NSA, yes. and but they were running naval intelligence in the region um, against uh, like Soviet positions and stuff in the region. Right. Uh, but it was in that uh, that um, Sea of Japan, the Eastern Sea and mm-hmm. stuff. So, <clears throat> for whatever reason, all of the authorities that would be the bases in the region that could have got there the fastest I read that anyone could have got there to help was 90 minutes when they got fired upon and it's mostly because they didn't know like uh, who uh, who was in the, the USS Pueblo was and why they were there and mm-hmm. there was all this scrambling to gather intel on that uh, and uh, just wasn't able to uh, do anything before they're getting towed into right. uh, North Korea right okay but um, th- so USS Pueblo, um, we mentioned, was originally commissioned um, 
Right. This event is a 11 month long. So we're going to do this, this sort of blow by blow throughout the year. But January 23rd, 68 is when it's captured. Right. That's when it's captured. And I think what's interesting about this too, right, is that the day before that you had what was called the Blue House Raid on South Korea. Correct. Right. Correct. In which there was supposed to be an assassination attempt on the South Korean president by these North Korean commandos. And it had failed. And only, I think, I think one person was captured and one person got away and the rest were killed. But, uh, that tensions would have been high anyway at that point. And you have the Pueblo who's just sailing out there on the water and they're probably unaware of everything that's going on you yes. know, at this point. So, no wonder North Korea is a bit more agitated. <laughs> yes. Well, you know. and uh, Kim may have been trying to leverage the sort of waning influence of the North yeah, and the yeah, rising yeah, yeah, influence yeah. of the South and just trying to balance some things and get some propaganda in place because of the failure of the assassination. Right. Attempt. So it's just like kind of in a way, North Korea was going fishing, right? For some type there, of there's PR. A lot, there's a lot of thing. interpretations on that. Now they did get a lot of PR out of this. And right. That's, that's true. Sort of uh, the, the interesting thing and why I've, like don't realize uh, or don't see why the United States couldn't do this sooner is they, they, this thing I'll talk about called the three A's when the United States finally does admit they're like, Oh, there's no way that um, we'll just admit. And then they get the propaganda reel Mm -hmm. and it'll just get disseminated to their people. And we'll then say that, you know, Hey, we're only doing this other release of prisoners. And um, <clears throat> so they kind of give the Koreans what they want in the end, but it uh, then they denounce it immediately. But that part is never given to the Koreans. So this is it becomes this full, sort of full circle propaganda event that the Koreans are able to use. But it does have some backlashes. I'll talk about which right. spurns this uh, hell week and uh, some things that happen right. with crewmen, which are uh, which are very unfortunate. Well, since we're talking about like the incident itself and how it happens on January 23rd, 1968, what is it with sort of say the area, these, these East Asian areas of seas and these sort of shady naval sort of, incidents that are occurring because this has connections with gulf of tonkin right in 64 right which was a a sort of in a way an equally contentious sort of event it's like who fired first who did you know who did this and and of course lbj used gulf of tonkin to escalate the war in vietnam however with the pueblo incident we see that kind of uh, we we don't we don't see that that approach right it's 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 somewhat different I mean they weigh the options whether they're going to you know hey are we going to have a display of military power are we going to you know implore do, do we need need to go and um, uh, assess the situation if we're going to invade or whatever but um, yeah I just think it's interesting how you have Gulf of Tonkin that helps our aids in creating the Vietnam situation. And then you have the Pueblo incident, which in a way has some similar sort of characteristics, but it has a different ending to it. Right. Well, that's a great point too, to kind of call into question some of the other, um, 
things that it, that happen like you know hey oh did the united states you know were they back and forth in north korean waters a lot right that was yeah, primarily yeah, 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 what yeah. they were doing or you know and the north koreans didn't doctor any charts because hey look right. over here what the united states has a precedent of being involved with, with right the, uh can you think of any other incidents other than uh tonkin um no not not off the the top of my head um I would say that you do raise a good point is that uh, Pueblo in a way brings up a lot of questions, right? It's like, what are we doing out there? Uh, It does. Right. Yeah. And and have we been out there before? Have we been doing this for a while? There was some precedent. And I feel like those assumptions from the United States are that like, we've been you know Soviets spy on us over here we spy on them mm-hmm. everything's cool you know because we're spying on the Soviets and they're an eastern communist bot nation it, you know let's say we gather some intel on these four Korean harbors while we're doing it it's all the same yeah but that's that's one of the biggest misperceptions I feel like that leads to this 11 month long debacle is that um, there's just these there's these false assumptions made uh, that we should associate all communist nations as yeah, being in this right. conspiratorial plot against democracy together right and the fact that it's uh, with the Pueblo incident it's like the United States is treating North Korea pretty much as like the stepbrother to like the Soviet Union right at this point because I mean if you want to flash back to the Korean War it's uh, and I the United States doesn't recognize the sovereignty of North Korea right oh well, we don't recognize this nation so it's it's interesting instead of like it's like we're 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 hopping over them and right going right to say yeah the soviets or china or whatever but it's it's never it's it's not like north korea's idea which is why initially right it's like intelligence believes that oh this this since they captured the pueblo this must be a soviet plot right it's it's not it's not north korea sort of doing their own thing making their own decisions it's it has to be right this larger conspiratorial um communist plot right which which has been prevalent in american society or or in in the consciousness of american society since the 50s yes i mean if you want to jump back to the red scare and that but that that all these nations or these are, are part of the same sort of evil entity that is threatening american society american way of life freedom liberty these ideas and yeah i think you raise a very good point with that yeah that is um just these misperceptions mm-hmm. they're, they're they're fascinating the red menace that's what right yeah. In, indeed well and so that brings a, a, a broader point up is that I, I've found evidence that the Soviets did not condone this. Right. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Uh, if anything, they were they were uh, probably uh, you could say frustrated with the Koreans for not uh, being more willing to negotiate with the United States. Now, I don't. Uh, have you found anything or to have any thoughts on? Because I I did see some historians making this point: is that if Kason is a sideshow to Tet. That is the Pueblo incident a sideshow to Tet. Internationally speaking, in a larger sense of, of uh, is it a misperception to say that uh, North Korea, you know, sort of uh, aiding and abetting, knowing that uh, the North Vietnam, uh, the Vietnamese government was going to 
carry out Tet. And in the United States, I mean, Westmoreland was predicting right. this is going to happen. I think this is going to happen here and there. This is where they're, you know, they're going to try and take Quezon out. But that is some, a point that's come up a couple of times in my research that that maybe uh, at least LBJ uh, suspected in this conspiratorial manner that uh, the Pueblo incident was a sideshow, like trying to divert attention, and then they just get engulfed dealing with Tet and can't deal with this effectively. So it's just a creates a lot of uh, a lot of foreign policy issues and ultimately failures, as, as Learners pointed out right. in the title of his book, uh, is that. Uh, this isn't something that we look positively back on, you know? Mm-hmm. So that is, uh, what, what are your thoughts on that though? Um, my thoughts, if it sort of, uh, I don't, if, if, if you look at the larger picture, I don't feel that the Pueblo should necessarily be rele- relegated as, as this sort of, uh, sideshow to Tet. I think it's its own, I think it holds its own importance. I think it, it, and part of that importance is, is that along with Tet, is that Pueblo helps in a way. I mean, it's an international embarrassment. It raises all kinds of questions about what are we doing, why are we doing this. It raises a lot of questions about secrecy and purpose in East Asia. What are we doing out here? But I think also that it's um, it 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 helps because it's. It is published. It is a PR sort of thing. You see a lot of, of press about it. I mean, you don't hear about it much today, but you see a lot of press about it in 68. But that it sort of helps turn the tide of uh, not not only what are we doing in East Asia, but it also paints the, uh, and I know this term is used in conspiratorial work a lot, but the military-industrial complex, meaning not not like the the shadow government stuff, not not that, but like as far as just the apparatus of the United States military, and it starts to turn people more against the military than necessarily it. Uh, I mean, it turns people against the war in Vietnam, but it, in a way, I think Pueblo and Tet function as sort of as a turning point where people are not only doubting the war in Vietnam, but they're doubting the institutions of the military. They're doubting um, because of the way that they handle the situation in Tet, the way they handle the situation with Pueblo, the way they handle the when, when the, um, the hostages are released, when they're brought back and they're put on uh, or, or they're, they're the court martial thing. Mm-hmm. And, and which that, is sad I, I, right, when I, right, when I came is, across that I, I, I was like you know and I think we will uh, in a later episode discuss me lie but right. um, you know y- you know the outcome of that and Callie essentially being pardoned you know getting getting off but you know I mean that makes sense Let's let's reprimand uh, like with me lie like that made sense right yeah but with, it was with, right. with this it's like ugh. well well because it, it came across as only the, as the navy protecting themselves that's what it was right they're protecting their they're they're looking for a scapegoat mainly because the uh, the pueblo had these sensitive encryption devices and things on it right so it's like well somebody has to pay for this but right there's not like a huge humanitarian loss like there was with uh say like certain massacres and stuff that happened in vietnam right yeah it it, it just looks bureaucratic and it looks out of touch right yeah yeah indeed um 
This uh, the so the official name of the operation being ran, and again, this is one of many operations. Uh, operation Click Beetle. Mm-hmm. So this is going on in the region, right? And um, when uh, Pueblo is recommissioned, it's stripped down. It is not given like any essential equipment it needs to uh, destroy documents quickly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah self defense yeah. systems. Uh, the steering mechanism uh, fails constantly. Um, there is one stat here that that kind of blew my mind. Um, when it uh, three months before departure, it goes out for a test and runs a series of drill. It reveals four hundred and eighty issues, and seventy to eighty of them had to be fixed immediately before it could be commit. Uh, you know, seaworthy. Most of them were not dealt with. Mm-hmm. Uh, the steering engine had all these issues, failed constantly. Um, the communication system had issues. The radar system had issues. So. But that's these uh, things like they didn't really want to tell when this was being commissioned. They want to tell anybody what it was going to be used for. Right. So when they were asking for certain things to be put on the ship because there wasn't uh, up and down communication, they were denied like they and they didn't want to ask for certain things. They didn't want to give certain things away. But, um, you know, there's there was previous spying that have been going on the region intelligence collecting um, info about the Soviet fleet that was stationed or uh, the thought is that they were looking for Korean submarine technology but uh, the Pueblo was 16 miles off of the Korean coast when it was captured Um, and as I mentioned in my research it was in international waters when it was uh, captured but um, there uh, in the Sea of Japan is where all this takes place. Uh, you mentioned uh, just right before uh, the Pueblo is captured, uh, you have uh, this failed assassination. Yeah, the attempt. Blue House raid. Yes. Um, there was a series of incidents uh, that went down. Uh, so, first, all, uh, first of all, when... <clears throat> They start running the course of their mission. They leave port in January. Uh, the weather's bad. They're not. Right. They're not getting a much uh, much intel on what they are getting. They're not able to translate quickly. But they do end up with like a few thousand pages of documents, hmm. which fall ultimately mostly into Korean hands. Um, but the twenty first, they run into this torpedo boat. Right, right. right yeah. um, then they encounter some fishing vessels at some point too. Right? Yes, uh, and but they're unable to. They try and send some uh, communication about the torpedo boat to Washington. Can't get it through. Right, failure in technology. The twenty second, uh, they're briefly surrounded by two North Korean ships. They make a couple of laps around the pueblo, um, and they send messages back to North Korea saying, "Hey, we have sighted an American ship." Even though the pueblo has no markings indicating it's American ship, right? That's what the official reports. Uh, and then um, the twenty third is when all this goes down. Um, essentially, what happens? They they are announced hey surrender we're gonna fire on you 
and they are uh, Booker is is trying to buy time, right? So he faces mechanical failure. Uh, they ultimately get fired upon as he's trying to destroy documents. They don't have a, they they have a tiny shredder and a tiny incinerator. Right. Well, that, that's that's why I asked. Or you know, I had read. Hey, yeah, they had radio contact because I almost feel like they expected somebody to come out there and sort of save them, right? Yes. You know? Right. Yes. That, that's, and he was. That's with the with the failed breakdown. It's like uh, I remember got, coming across that a couple of times and being like, I wonder if he just kind of was like, ah, oh, this this ship's got some problems. Yeah. That's my reality. I'm sure they'll be like, oh, this ship's breaking down again. <laughs> but it, it, it's like you know, f- that's ultimately when they fail or uh, or playing like they're broke down. That's when the North Koreans fire upon that ultimately kills one of the crewmen. Mm-hmm. It right, wounds right. several more. Yeah. And then the North Koreans board, blindfold, tow them back in, and uh, that starts this uh, 11-month-long prisoner of war um, negotiation between the United States and North Korea. Right. So, um, after that, uh, the crewmen, their POWs. Right. And they're subjected to all different types of torture. Regular. Regular, regular torture, torture. Beaten. Yeah. So for the first couple of months, they that, that's where they break them. Right. Yeah. They get them. They beat them with these wooden blocks. Uh, they Here's, here's a, a, a terrible one you ever seen. The movie Die Hard, the very first mm-hmm. one. It's great Christmas film. <laughs> but um, they make them crawl across the floor on broken yeah. glass. Yeah. That's wild. Um, but uh, they will starve them. They uh, expose them to cold temperatures. That's something I read about uh, even during Hell Week. Right. I thought it was interesting psychological stuff that they did too. What like, what what like uh, the, what did you come across on that? Well, I came across like uh, especially since uh, with, with uh, the captain uh, of what how is it that you pronounce Booker? 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 Booker. Boocher is what I was going to call. B-U-C-H-E-R. Yeah, yeah. But like that, that they staged like mock firing squads. Oh, yeah. And, you know, that, hey, we're going to shoot you, we're going to shoot your men, or, you know, that, and, and a way to kind of break them. And I think, you know, I mean, that's, that's pretty heavy. That <laughs> is. Oh, man. Ah, uh, that is psychological because just the the fear i remember one time um my dad raised me like hunting and stuff and i would mm-hmm. uh he was teaching me how to shoot guns and like i never wanted to shoot a gun that had any kick to it right right so when i started uh going deer hunting i had to obviously start shooting a gun that had a kick to it but one time he was trying to get me you know to shoot it but he didn't put a shell in the chamber and I finally like squeezed the trigger and I just knew the gun was going to go off, but it didn't. Yeah. And like that suspense and all I was, I was behind the trigger. I can't right. imagine like what you're saying, the psychological pressure of sitting there watching one of your guys or one of your officers, uh, we're going to fire on him, but yeah. then it just clicks, yeah. you know, right. or, or you're, you're, you're there about to get fired on and you hear the click, not yeah. the, you know, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah they they were subjected to torture um they're able to break them and get what they wanted uh which are uh them signing and recording apologies and confessions right which is fairly standard sort of communist kind of procedure in a way yeah. i mean you see it in vietnam too Correct. Which is, which is interesting. And I don't know if in a way that feeds into this sort of well they're they're all part of the same sort of group or or political entity or whatever the red menace right 
Yeah. But that, that it's, it's like, a um, it's a, uh, it's, it's so demoralizing, right. To have to, I mean, not only be captured, but pretty much renounce your, your country and your ideals, right. It's, it is more psychological warfare. And it is. And these, these men were going to be in many ways when they come back after this event physically and like yeah. you said, psychologically, mentally handicapped right. for a while. Right. So it's um, there are definitely some uh, some psych- long term psychological effects of many of these veterans. I would like to um, there and there are some out there. I haven't watched a ton of uh, like any interviews I've seen with the former crewmen were done in like a news interview documentary format. I would like to see some more of like the individual crewmen, um, like, uh, interviews of just like one-on-one with them that aren't in just like a sort of scripted format. Like, yeah, which is yeah, what I've yeah, seen. yeah. But, um, there, there are some of those out there. Uh, and, uh, Lerner has interviewed all of the ones I believe that are living knows them. So, um, but, uh, so ultimately, uh, LBJ, super upset about this yeah and all of the military leadership and the lbj administration and the american people initially want revenge but uh the reality is that there's probably nothing they can do to uh save them vietnam is definitely uh taking the attention of the united states going into 68 right um the U.S. initially reaches out to the Soviets, China, the United Nations, the International Red Cross, right. all of these group, international groups like, hey, please put pressure on Korea so we can get these crewmen back. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, but uh, essentially, that doesn't work. Right. right. Um, we know the Koreans had sent some intel and things the day after they captured the Pueblo to the Soviets. So that fueled the United States conspiratorial mindset. Right. That the Soviets were backing this. But uh, the Soviets for 10, 11 months or, or not the Soviets, rather the North Koreans for 10, 11 months um, negotiate with the Americans at the DMZ um, and say they want the three A's, which are apologize, admit and assure. Yes. Right. right. So uh, apologize for having violated uh, coming into na- uh, North Korean waters. Admit that they had spied. Right. And run a spy operation. Ultra. Uh, <laughs> assure that yes. the North uh, to the North Koreans that they would not do that again. So they want the three A's. Well, the United States, they don't want to do that. Right. Initially. Um, so uh, there's really no threats that. Uh, are working for the North Koreans. So this just becomes a long and long uh, drawn out thing because the North Koreans will not settle for anything uh, short of the three A's. Right. Right. So, um, and we see uh, through communication uh, in my research that the communist bloc states are not happy about this. Right. Right. So, uh, which leads me to believe that um, this is that that mindset of uh, you know hey that the, the Pueblo is linked to Vietnam and Ted or that Pueblo is linked to a Soviet backed plot. Uh, that leads me to believe that all, that all of that is just in the mind of the Johnson administration. So Ted begins in late January, detains the United States. Uh, basically, attention to the negotiations are still ongoing, but they're just stalemated for a good amount of time uh like february through april um 
really nothing really happens beyond that moving forward until uh towards the end of the year yeah well i think also right part of this is is just um sort of exasperated because uh well or prolonged right sort of like what i mentioned earlier is that the united states refuses to recognize north korea right as its own nation as it's and and right it's interesting you know hey we're gonna we're gonna go and 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 we're gonna implore the soviets or the united nations the red cross you know but it's like we're kind of leapfrogging over you know the nation we should really be talking to right mm-hmm. about you know the it's it's sort of like if you're mad at somebody and you just well hey tell this person that i said this and then you go and send them over oh, there right yeah it's kind of like that and um i, I guess, use the telephone game analogy a lot in history classes yeah. like when i when i'm talking about sources and writing and where you get your information from and how many times it's been passed down mm-hmm. it's like it's something worth considering but even like 20 years later like the korean war was still a sort of sore wound i guess in a way because it wasn't a victory it was just a ceasefire at this point and you have these uh, right you, you still have all these this pressure between south and north korea well and i think that is why like if you had to ask the question why would north korea do that mm-hmm Let's say that the that that there's you know they did meander into Korean waters, but they were in international waters and they're caught. Like, right? Yeah. Why North Korea would do that? Well, that that the the ceasefire, the the soreness over the Vietnam War, there there are a whole lot of tensions still in the region, and right. North Korea basically wanting to not be so much of a stepbrother yeah maybe, yeah maybe right. like it's, a cousin it's, it's like them sort of like hey hey look at me look at me i'm over here you know right yeah it's it's kind of certainly like, right certainly yeah. i totally um trying to assert themselves as more of a um a communist power right, right? a notable communist <laughs> yeah, power which is right. kind of i think been a been a narrative that we could agree on even to this day it's like oh yeah absolutely right it's just uh right oh we're testing nuclear weapons you know that sort of and and in a way right it's it's more like they're just trying to say we're here (laughs) yes um so there's a breakthrough in the treaty negotiations in 68 there's a state department official james leonard uh, at the yeah. suggestion of his wife, by the way, he goes home. He's like, ah, I guess this is never going to be resolved. Uh, probably just end up going, to, you know, whoever the next president is, is who will have to deal with this. Uh, and she's like, well, how about you just sign the document, admit the three A's, and then publicly state that you or denounce that you're doing, doing it just to get the crewman back, which is ultimately what they do. Right. right. So, which is, um, it's fascinating to me that they didn't that like that didn't occur sooner right that if that idea had been fielded let's say in february do you think it would have went down that way Uh, i don't know (laughs) i think that the koreans needed to get their propaganda yeah 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 um which i want to make uh some comments about that uh in a moment right but uh so the pueblo uh 
ends up becoming a great propaganda opportunity and long term even with it being tourist attraction the crewmen are ultimately released and blamed uh for denouncing and and other things uh but uh i would say ultimately what happens is uh the navy buries the incident just like you said and it's a very much an effort to sweep it under the rug yeah and right to pass blame on to the crew for this whole situation having happened and uh you know, uh, we one of the reasons that I feel, and, and, and that, that turns people sort of against the, the Navy or the, what I, the military-industrial complex, right, is when they bring them back and they, they're like, hey, we're going to court-martial these people because they didn't put up a fight. They just, you know, they just let the ship go. And it's, but it's, uh, these, these um, captured crewmen were very resilient people. Right. They were. I mean, like, like the way that they, they found ways to sort of, um, stand up right against their North Korean captors. Is, that is, is really my, fascinating. That is one of the most fascinating parts of this whole story. And that is, uh, what, uh, learner and then others I've heard, uh, I think the crewman kind of termed it this coming back was hell week. Right. So they're early on they're always getting the crewmen to watch these propaganda films and in one of the propaganda films they realize there's like the koreans are playing at this uh soccer event uh, Mm -hmm. against uh it's in london and the uh english fans uh you, you have the middle finger gesture at the Koreans and the Koreans smile and, and, and acknowledge it and like bow. And then the Americans realize that they don't know what the middle right, finger gesture yeah, means. Yeah, they don't know what the bird is. Yeah. So <laughs> that becomes this, um, they start doing that and, um, they they're doing this in photos right. they're doing this yeah, on for film propaganda and, photo ops. Well, right. And they're, they tell the, um, they tell the Koreans it's the Hawaiian good luck sign. Right, yeah. Right? Yeah, uh-huh. Like like the Hawaiian good luck sign. So uh, they're going to film, like on one point in time, they're going to film something and one of the uh, Koreans like, like flips in the birds like have a great press conference <laughs> yeah and like because they think it's like hey good luck out there we're right, spreading yeah, this it's propaganda the Hawaiian good luck sign yeah it's well the what happens on that is that one of the americans they start sending um <clears throat> first they make them uh they have them make propaganda to disseminate to the north korean people then they start uh disseminating propaganda to family members washington officials news outlets uh some of the um crewmen send letters to hugh, dr reverend hugh hefner uh to a mentally disabled <laughs> uh hospital in washington dc called saint elizabeth but um there's there's all of this uh them flipping the bird and stuff in this in these photos and one of the uncles of the crewman i believe it was an uncle it's a family member Mm -hmm. takes this to a news outlet and it gets to multiple news outlets the koreans figure that out and that's what then they they up the torture yeah even more so in this event that they they call now uh hell week but um they were they were using the metal finger gesture and video on uh and two there's one uh video where um they're uh morris code blinking Blinking, that they're being tortured and so in the north koreans they just couldn't pick up on the intricacies of language and cultural cultural barriers yes um but when they did they were not happy about it so right um 
But uh, Hell Week, that is a, a very un- unfortunate part. And that occurs towards the end of the year, right? right? So they've already been captive for several months and they have to go through uh, this other uh, incident of torture. Um, so, well, the prisoners are released, but right. it's still a blemish. December 23rd, like yep. shortly before Christmas. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're led across the bridge of no return. Yep. Uh, taken back to, uh, to the United States. Uh, and now the the ship is still a tourist attraction. Yeah, it's still there. And so it, bullet holes circled and highlighted. Uh, some of the original equipment still on, the, on board uh, on the ship. So... Um, this is a great, I think, opening gun on the on rising Cold War tensions. Yeah. But also rising tensions in the United States, which is, I think is kind of the one of the thesis points of, of our whole uh, series of talks here is that this is creating a much larger ripple effect in the domestically in the United States, that there are all of these events that are dealt with uh, ineffectively, poorly, or seen as failures, um, or incidents that happen, mm-hmm. and uh, it just really, it really wrecks the United States. I mean, yes. I, I was listening to to Bobby Kennedy talk uh, in an interview yesterday, and and it was uh, it was during the riots, and he was like, we need to ask ourselves, or that was after Martin Luther King was assassinated, he said, we need to ask ourselves what kind of nation we are and what kind of nation we want to be. Right. You know, and that is, um, <laughs> I know we'll go more into to Kennedy in some, uh, some later episodes, but uh, so what are your kind of um, concluding thoughts on the Pueblo as, uh, you know, a Cold War failure? <laughs> as a as a cold war failure um or would you call it a cold war failure well uh i think right it 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 i think it 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 is uh, internationally right it's an embarrassment i mean it's 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 bad the navy does does bury it but right i think i think the impact of it at home is probably what's most important here and that's not to belittle the international situation which was bad Right. But that Pueblo and along with later Tet helped to uh, turn people against the war and, and against intervention in Southeast Asia. Like it's like I mentioned earlier, they it raises these these important questions like, why are we doing this? Why are we here? Why are we spying? You know, um, we thought this was okay. Is yeah. It? Yeah. Right. And, and it's, yeah, it's what kind of a nation are we at this point? And I think that that is a question that, that gets, gets raised, but I think it's important that Pueblo not be rele- relegated to like a footnote in, in, in history. It is important. It's, it's internationally important, but domestically, yes, it's important too. And I think not just because it establishes that the United States is spying on these other, that, that there's this veil of secrecy that exists because in a way it is, and this ties in with Tet, is that it is furthering what became known as the credibility gap. Right. For sure. Where you have United States intelligence telling the public one thing, and then you have these flare-ups happening that demonstrate that the situation is not under control, 
that the East Asia situation is um, pretty much that you're being lied to is sort of sort of what it is, is is that Americans are in the dark about what's going on halfway across the world, even though it is a primary focus for the Johnson administration, for the United States military, and that uh, at the point in 1968, you had nearly uh, half a million American soldiers in Vietnam that people's kids are being sent across the world to die in a place that we don't understand. We know little about and that there's no control over this situation. And that's why I feel that Pueblo is important. And of course, Ted's important. And I also think Pueblo is important because, um, I think to me, the real kicker with Pueblo is when we get the hostages back and the way that the Navy treats them, I think is just deplorable. Right. Agreed. Is, is, is that, yeah, we're going to court martial these people. We're going to publicly embarrass these people again, who've been, uh, in, uh, who've been captured for a year, subjected to heinous torture, but who, as, as you demonstrated by things like the, the Hawaiian good luck sign and they, they were like, they, they hadn't turned, right. They hadn't turned against America. And there's great evidence for that. Right. Is, is, is that, that they were, were fighting their own war and we're taking them back and treating them as war criminals. Right. But they hadn't betrayed the United States or, or, but the Navy tried to make them look like they didn't do their job. Right. And, and I just think that that, that helped turn people against it because I mean, these, these are all like younger guys, right? They look like they could live next door to you or they're your son or, you know, like that. And it's like, well, we're treating them like they're, they're traitors, right? But they're not. And, uh, so I think that that, that was, in the press, I think really, really important and, and sort of adds to this divide that is happening between the public and the military industrial complex. Yes. agreed. That's a great point. Um, so Tet, right. So like, right as, uh, right as this is kicking off right within a week, um, the United States is going to have to deal with another, major incident which um you know uh, this pueblo incident being swept under the rug you 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 take it out and you put it with tet Mm -hmm. that really worsens conditions i mean this is really a double blow for united states yeah right it's it's adding fuel to the fire is it i mean there's already a fire burning but it's just you're you're just continually just uh, adding yeah you're, you're adding more incidents to it and it's it's you can't ignore it anymore is what it is it's uh, everything's not under control it's no it's definitely out of control what uh what are some some um some points about tet uh that you think uh are, are notable in comparison or just uh you know as an event like i mean obviously it's election year this we're not off to a great start. Right, yeah. uh, we have this international event. Then we we have tensions heightening in Vietnam. I feel like this is a remark I heard somebody made previously going into 68. 
there was a lot of uncertainty and a lot of tension and a lot of people basically just not saying what they thought. Right. Which kind of, I feel like with the Cronkite's uh, conclusion of, uh, hey, this is, right, this is a stalemate. stalemate it's yeah. going to be a stalemate. I think that a lot of people in 67 were starting to, to think that, but we're not voicing that up the chain of command. That's that's something I kept running across because like I, I, I went uh, through a fair amount of resources on 67, just kind of trying to get like a, a, my mind around what the perceptions were going into this year that we're talking about yeah. 1968 mm-hmm. and, and, and how it kicks off with these two incidents. Right. Well, I think what's interesting, especially about the start of 1968, is that if you look historically, or I, I'd say retroactively, people will now say, oh, you know, we were against the Vietnam War or that that the conflict in Southeast Asia, we we didn't want to have anything to do with that. But I think what's interesting is looking statistically at analysis from the time, right, is that the Vietnam War wasn't wildly unpopular at that point in time. I mean, amongst certain certain groups of people, right, is is that there were still people who are like, okay, yeah, we still trust the military and what they're doing out there. And especially, but Right. The tide is turning at this point. People are beginning to turn against the Vietnam War. Shortly um, before um, Tet, you had uh, a march on the uh, the Pentagon. I, I, have you read about this in 67? Uh, no, no, I don't. Uh, not if I have, I had not retained it. So, OK, what, well, uh, what well there, there was a march on the Pentagon where you had 75,000 people uh, make a uh, make a march in Washington. Um, on on the the capital, and I believe I want to say Robert McNamara was like on top of I forgot where, but like apparently like overseeing like everything going on down below. But it was like pretty much uh, I, where you had confrontations between armed guards and uh, sort of the more um, anti-war people, but not like violent, violent, but like uh, where it's it's boiling, it's coming to a point, it's boiling over. But that that was in uh, yeah that was in sixty seven right but at this uh, at this point yeah you've got um, sort of this growing anti war movement that's 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 happening and a lot of this is starting with the younger generation right with uh, the college kids and I think what's interesting especially about the early and well say just all Vietnam protesting is that it was sort of a collaborative effort between both faculty and students mm-hmm. and that these protests were originally called teach-ins. What university was it got completely shut down? I think it was in 68. I think it was after Tet. I don't recall. Sorry. Yeah. That, no, but no, that no, was something. Well, yeah. Okay. These, these in these happen, these are happening across uh, uh, nationwide. These college protests, right? The these college protests, right. But the, these teach-ins or whatever, and the date on the, the March on the Pentagon was October 21st, 1967. Okay. So we're, we're a few months yes. before, before Pueblo and Tet and all that. But, um, that, that the teach-ins that this, this domestic opposition, especially at these, these campuses, uh, and and due to the fact that they were a collaboration between students and faculty in a way gave legitimacy to the to these these protests because you had these these uh, professors and teachers involved in it right it wasn't just a bunch of like young people it was also like the 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 older generation too who were involved in it who were saying hey this Vietnam thing is not right 
it's uh you know we, we don't need to be here that sort of thing but um right that's sort of the lead-in to uh to pueblo and to tet and uh that there was this growing anti-war opposition but at that time the vietnam war was not exactly wildly unpopular and that anti-war policies didn't quite exist at that point that that the anti-war movement wasn't affecting uh, um the media you know i mean it wasn't a way but it wasn't affecting policy. It wasn't affecting government policy at this point. And, but after Tet is where you see that happen. That's a great point. Yeah. So that is a, a very great point. Um, and what is it about Tet overall that causes that shift? See, that's a, I think that's, that's a really good question is that, um, and like, yeah, this, this, uh, I would say that the shift happens with Tet, not only because it's opposed to what sort of Westmoreland and the other generals had been saying about Vietnam, which in a way widens that credibility gap. But I also think due to the media presence that was already in Vietnam, that was able to broadcast these images back to the United States, um, I, I, I feel that, that these images of war and all that it had influence on people. I think it's it's easier to see a picture and to say, okay, well, that's horrible, than to read about it. You, if you have a visual element, it it's, can be dispersed to more people. More people can, in a way, identify with it or process it in a way that's, I think, different than reading. But I would say that that media presence had a significant impact on it because that's when the media really turns on vietnam right because you have walter cronkite right who's like yeah it's going to end in a stalemate there's no way that the united states is going to pull out a win here based on what's happening at tet which uh yeah, but tet was a was a in a you know it shouldn't have been a surprise but it was yeah i yes i mean even though westmoreland was saying that he felt like something was going to happen he really yeah. wasn't he wasn't calling it for what it was and two you know um the cronkite incident but one of the the standouts for me at ted is that uh image of the execution of the Viet Cong. yeah yeah that is and i would say in the media and then also like let's say you and i as students later seeing that mm -hmm. like it's it's like that incident where the um, person pours the uh, hydrochloric acid in the swimming pool. Yeah, it's like when people see those the, these iconic types of images, uh, like the Buddhist monks self emulation. Right. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are things that you're never gonna be able to get that image out of your right. head. And it's it, that image has implications. Yes. About asking these same sort of questions. And I would say that, um, these things that we're bringing up are, are just like almost like fuel right? Uh, or, or logs that are being thrown on this, this fire, which is growing, mm -hmm. growing in size. Yeah. I, I think, right. Along with the imagery, um, I think like a, another, um, sort of, important thing about tet is that it right is, is that it really influences policy after this point politicians begin to turn against the war too i think that that's important and it becomes sort of this um 
it, it can't be ignored no longer, especially with the presidential election in 68. It becomes a main issue after Tet. I think that that's important. It does. I mean, do you, okay. So how much, but, um, it, Oh, go ahead, go ahead. But, um, getting, getting back to the, to, to the imagery thing. And we talk about the impact of it or whatnot. I think another thing that differentiates Tet and makes it impactful on sort of, uh, the American consciousness is that Tet is taking place in, um, cities it's in domesticated sort of areas right where you have buildings and things like that it's no longer the the, the war is no longer in the jungle it's no longer in the rice paddies it's right on the street and i think that that has some impact on how the perception is that things are falling apart right that's a great point yeah too. It is. It brings it. Uh, it brings it home so much more. Uh, I was uh, on that. We were texting last night, and I told you to watch that Ken Burns documentary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, in the city. It, it really is. It's mm-hmm. probably my favorite one that he's done. Uh, I have my students watch the Thomas Jefferson one for U.S. History yeah. one, uh, which we're starting after spring break. By the way, um, which will be all online delivery. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Pretty much the rest of the semester. <clears throat> but it is. It's an excellent documentary. But they were. Um, there was this misperception by the North Vietnamese government that the that the people in the South would rise up against the Americans and join the North. Yeah, yeah the North's right. nationalist call to to arms. And uh, Ho Chi Minh was being broadcast for a moment, uh, I believe, over speakers in Saigon and they cut it and started playing Beatles songs. Yeah. Jimmy yeah, Hendrix yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. <laughs> so, um, definitely, um, that is, uh, that was something that stuck out to me. I thought it was, yeah, but right. It showed that the, the, the Vietnam situation was indeed not under control. I mean, the, the Viet Cong were able to pretty much embed 60,000, right of their own people all throughout these provincial areas, these towns, these when they'd amassed, I think what 30,000 troops around Quezon. Yeah. So it's like, um, yeah. So definitely uh, LBJ had a two scale model of Quezon in his, uh, in the oval office and they updated it like a play by play. Yeah. He was basically, leading operations in a way from the white right. house of, cause every, it was, they would update it almost live as things are going on in Vietnam. Uh, but that, that is, uh, he refused it all cost to lose case on as a part right. of that. But I mean, so like militarily Tet was a win for the United yeah, States. Yes, it was. Right. And it really broke the back of the Viet Cong yeah, and right, they, of, of the North Vietnamese army after that. And I feel like, um, that being a fact, and then talking to some Vietnam vets myself of like Cronkite saying what he did after, yeah. that's kind of some sour grapes for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, right. 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 Um, like this one guy I was talking to, I work with him, his dad um, is a Vietnam vet, and his dad was super upset about Cronkite saying that yeah. stuff. And his dad, uh, he, uh, he said, was around uh, like at the base of uh, Hamburger Hill. Uh-huh. But you know that was something that was interesting to me is is hearing like a, a vet's take on it that was there right you know? yeah <clears throat> but yeah the uh uh the vc lost like nearly if not more than half right of their forces in this and uh um they were pretty much beaten back at that point right driven out but uh, yeah somehow i mean it's it becomes this American Pyrrhic victory 
Right. Yeah, yeah, it probably in a way does boost some morale, right? But yet there's this other effect, right? That we're talking right, about. which which is you have the media turning on, and, and that reflects back home too. And I think right, this is this is talking about sort of where this is taking place, right? Which we're in the villages and towns and streets of South Vietnam, right? And fighting fighting the North North Vietnamese, and that this incident left nearly 200,000 civilians without homes. Mm. I mean, like, like the, the civilian cost of it was enormous. That that's especially so in, in a way, right. Uh, them ultimately getting the city back and, and driving out the, the NVA, but at the cost. Of, right. Of yeah. It's like what's how many left? citizens yeah. were displaced yeah. is, is truly amazing. Right. Um, yeah. It, Absolutely. Yeah. It's what's, what's left. And it sort of allows this growing, uh, instability, chaos to kind of take over at this point when you have so many people sort of displaced and you're fighting over these areas that are just decimated right afterward. So it's like, yeah, what are we doing? What are we fighting for? What it does, it raises a lot of questions. Um, and I, I think that that is, uh, you know, if you look at it from all all sides, how the military views it, how politicians right. view it, how the American public's viewing it, how the North uh, Vietnamese are viewing it, how the South Vietnamese, everybody kind of has a different spin. Yeah, yeah, everybody has their own interpretation of it in a way. And you still have the army who, in a way, think their tried and true method of things like, like, oh, we killed this many, you know, in comparison. It's like we killed three North Vietnamese to every, like, or, or four Vietnamese to every one American or something like that. So it's like, well, they can't have that many people left. So they're still using the, the statistical, um, the statistical analysis in order to, um, I'm trying to think of how to put it here to uh, justify, right? Why we're doing what we're doing. Hey, we're causing all this, all these, these casualties, they're going to run out of people. We're, we're doing the pacification program where we're going through the villages and trying to route out, you know, any of the, any North Vietnamese or sympathizers. That's what Woods' book is going to be about. Right. Pacification. Yeah. yeah but it's not working. You know, I mean, it's, it's statistics may show. I mean, this is like, uh, um, this was with uh, Robert McNamara, right, who is using mainly these statistics as a basis for, saying, hey, okay, we're winning the Vietnam War, but it just doesn't reflect correctly because it doesn't deal necessarily with the hearts and the minds of the people involved, right? Like, like it's like this, this idea that, I guess, this underestimation that the people of South Vietnam were going to rise up with the North Vietnamese, you know, and, and do the same thing, but they didn't. But then again, it's not like, I mean, did they really help out with the, uh, the army, with, with the South vietnamese army when when they were invading you know it's 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 a battle it's it's a strange strange sort of moral moral battle or or that's that's what it becomes or it should be more focused on instead of numbers and how much money that's put into it and i think that really starts to turn people's perception toward the war when when you see the cost right yeah you see the um like uh, I was doing some research into it, and apparently since the the 1950s, it's it, well, it's it, the idea that that Ted demonstrated that the military's sort of reassurance 
and spending on the war, just the constant just resources being funneled to it were futile. It was it was like impossible after this point, especially when after Tet, the North Vietnamese, I mean, they're not done. I mean, Tet demonstrates that they're still there. They're still a force. But that since the 1950s, more than $40 billion had been funneled into uh, aircraft and missile programs. But however, there was only a 40% success rate on these programs. I mean, that's a ton of money that you can't account for. So not only is it affecting people, say, on a a, a moral level. Okay, well, like, you know, I, I had a son go off to Vietnam and he was, you know, he was either wounded or he died or, you know, or I knew somebody who went to Vietnam and they, they came back and they had PTSD or, you know, but there's, there's, it's also hitting Americans in their pocketbooks too. It's, it's, uh, but it's showing that no matter what we put in Vietnam, it's not going to stop this this North Vietnamese force is not going to stop their, their drive. It's not going to stop their, it's not going to, it's not going to change their minds is what, it, what I'm saying. Yeah. There's no, there's no winning the hearts. And minds. Right. There's no winning the hearts and minds of, uh, of the North Vietnamese of the Viet Cong. It, it, it can't be done. Well, and I think you could argue too, is that this highlights that in terms of, the Vietnam War, there's no more winning the hearts and minds of the Americans. Yeah, right. That too, right? Of. It's 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 a it's the double edge sort of sword here, where but you're you're getting both edges at this point. You're losing the war, not just in or well, it's like I guess in a way you could view it as it's uh, yeah you you win the battle, but you lose the war, right? Here here's a, something super disturbing I came across post Tet. We're still not even half of the death toll of United States soldiers. Yeah, right. So this starts this process of uh, the end of the war, the final phase. But do you still have, you know, this issue going on with like we're still in Vietnam till 75. Right. Yeah. There's still tons of casualties uh, left to be uh, taken. So, right. Um. All right. Well, so, what, so any concluding ta- uh, thoughts on Ted here? Well, um, I mean, uh, Ted is kind of one of those historic events that is in a way with not just 1968, but Vietnam War with 60s and all that. It's kind of been done to death. You know, I mean, are, I mean I'm mean, i not saying that there's not new things you can pull out of it, but I feel like it's, it's an event that's talked about quite a lot. And um, I think that <coughs> one thing that, is really important about things like Tet and even Pueblo is that it it does raise this question of is America fighting a morally righteous battle against the heathen communists, mm-hmm. right? Because later, right, we get into these incidents and atrocities that are being committed by American servicemen. And it's like, well, who's who's good, who's bad? Um why are we spying, lying and killing our way across Southeast uh, Asia and um, amongst the people that we really don't understand. And I, th- I think that that's, that's one takeaway of this, but who really is the ugly one here? Right. Especially if you get into sort of, because um, I mean, we did mention, right. That sort of the background on Vietnam, right. That we had been there since like the fifties. 55. Yeah, we had been there since the 50s. We supported the French. But that the idea of sort of Vietnam had been around in the American sort of pop pop culture lexicon 
for that time because you had the the book the ugly american right which is about sort of all these exploits or anecdotes about uh, america and southeast asia and what we're doing there but um it sold like two over two million copies i mean it was a popular (laughs) popular book but the vietnam sort of question had been around for a while but it's it's the question like who 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 really is like like I mean, it was, it was bad then. And now it's even worse at this point. And, um, one of the implications that arises out of this, not just from a moral standpoint is, is that how politically, um, the effect is, is, and that's where you get Johnson who LBJ changes his tactics at this point. Um, he scales back the bombings he does yeah on on vietnam and uh that was actually at the uh the behest of uh, his defense secretary who's a guy named clifford clark uh who told lbj to that at this point that they really needed to stop sending troops that they needed to make south vietnam more sort of accountable for defending themselves i think he, they what uh there was a hundred thirty thousand troops request or something he only sent yeah. 13,500. Yeah, right. I could be uh, inflating that first number, but they only sent 13,500 additional troops. Right. And to stop the aerial bombings. <laughs> and uh, that's where you get this important sort of uh, media social moment where LBJ goes on TV on March 31st, 1968, to announce about the Vietnam situation, that he's scaling back the bombings on Vietnam. And then he does the the bombshell at the end where he says he's not seeking re-election and that just opens the floodgates for um not only the vietnam question to be the central one of the central absolute central ideas in the the 68 presidential election like hey what are we doing here why are we here you get the anti-war stuff in but um uh it it just opens be opens it up to to chaos and you get all these these personalities and and people involved in the 68 presidential election then so in a way it's kind of like it ted becomes even though it's a victory militarily it it's a butterfly effect yeah it ripples right it ripples through it affects culture it affects people's perception of the vietnam war it affects the media which i think is interesting too because the media turns pretty much against the Vietnam war at that point, right? Is that this is bad. We shouldn't be doing this. And then a lot of the reporters who were there in Tet or were embedded in Vietnam later, uh, sort of, and this is what I was talking about with, with turning on the military industrial complex more so than just the war in Vietnam, but the, the apparatus, the administration itself is that some of these reporters also contributed directly to the release of the Pentagon papers in 1971 they worked for the new york times and that they were there and witnessing all this stuff that was going on in vietnam and that in a way that sort of turned them against the uh the military yeah what was ellsberg that uh was receiving the transmissions about tonkin at Mm -hmm. the pentagon was it not i believe so yeah fascinating so uh we're gonna do some future episodes on this topic of 1968 unraveled or um and just kind of uh digging into these incidents throughout the year um so we'll have some some future episodes on that we'll be putting together some additional content and doing some research and 
getting together and continue to collaborate. So, right. um, any, uh, any other concluding thoughts, uh, Thurman? Uh, uh, not at the, uh, the moment. I don't, I don't think I, I really have, uh, anything left here, but I, I, okay. One, one of the interesting things I think is that I ran across a source, uh, that, that argued that, um, that argued Ted only retroactively sort of became this game changing thing, especially in the minds of American people. And that, that people just didn't see the imagery, the imagery or, or hear the news of Ted and were like automatically against the war, even though it, it may have, or that there's no statistical real proof that that happened. Mm-hmm. I thought yeah. that that was fascinating. I was like, okay, because most of the time people retroactively look back and say, Hey, Ted's one of the moments where Vietnam war, Hey, that's not good. Right. And right, a lot of it is, I think, because of that powerful imagery, like the execution stuff. And, and yeah, but I guess maybe we had to have some time to sort through it. Right. Yeah, but that that it, it directly affected the policies, and that then that sort of trickles down mm-hmm. to how people perceive things. It's 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 sort of more like top down instead of the down up sort of approach. Yeah. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Right. Which I I just I just thought that that was kind of fascinating because like I've always heard that that Tet was like one of the, you know, the absolute crucial turning points where people, it was like a light bulb went off and people were like, Oh, we shouldn't be doing this Vietnam thing, you know? And, uh, yeah. And if, if anything, I kind of mentioned earlier, just almost just like starts another phase of the war, right? Uh, You could call it the final phase or you could really, uh, in terms of like serious escalation, you could just call it the midpoint. Right. Yeah. Yeah, right. I mean, so like 63 through Tet, I would say, would be like your uh, hot points or, you know, even 60, I guess you could say. Because, I mean, 55 too, um, one thing that this came up on the, and I'd heard Johnson quote this before, but uh, with K-San, with DMB and Fu um, previously, uh, Johnson, ah, this isn't going to be a damn Din Bin Fu incident again. Like, but just the perceptions of of Johnson on this whole this whole thing from the time that he gets it with Kennedy's assassination to Tet, and us being that escalating period, and let's say that we do start some de-escalation after Tet, it's still this very long and drawn out process in which uh, around thirty thousand additional more American soldiers are going to die. Right, and I think it's also interesting to point out too, especially mentioning LBJ is that LBJ won the election in 64 against Barry Goldwater based on this idea of, hey, peace, you know, or, or the great society, or the, we're going to end poverty. And by the time we get to 68, we see that that's not the case and that Johnson's platform of peace is escalation, that he's continually just upping the ante in Vietnam until we reach the breaking point of Tet. And uh, that... I just think that that's that's an interesting interesting point is that maybe by 68 may not maybe Johnson realized that it wasn't achievable right and that's part of the reason why he backed out of the election that hey we had these sort of progressive grandiose ideas for how our society was going to be how the East Asia um, situation was going to turn out and that none of that has come to fruition at this point and we really don't know what to do that it's it's sort of a it's a, a chaos moment uh, a moment where it's it's a bit distressing 
It does. It makes it a, a definite sort of nexus, and and it it functions as, in a way as a as a breaking point, right? Where it's it's like you look back, and even even though as historians we look back and we point to specific instances where okay things have been going bad for a while, right? I mean like like the Vietnam situation had never really been under control, and it was never really a winnable situation. Of course, we can say that as armchair historians or whatever looking back right hindsight is always exactly. 2020 but that 68 especially even early in these months functions as a point where people are waking up and they're realizing that there's no going back that that whatever was before is gone and that we are in sort of a new a a, a, a new reality is what this is this is uh, the dawning of a new reality and i think that's why people get sort of hung up on 68 is just because there's so many events that just hammer this point home that america has changed the world has changed people have changed and that there's no going back from this point yes nice well man um uh, super i'm looking forward to exploring yeah. more topics with you on this in the future uh, many thanks for your yeah, continued thanks. collaboration uh, coming yeah. on the show. Uh, we have uh, many things to talk about oh, yeah. all the time. So <laughs> uh, we'll be back with some future episodes. We'll wrap this one up and um, th- want to thank everybody for listening and uh, you know, tune back in for future content. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Thanks. Signing off.